Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Hey, give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener... Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. Good evening to you all. Delighted to be here. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. Ben starts us off from Kentucky. Hey, Ben, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. How can we help? Oh, Noah. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's the sound of a frustrated Linux user right there, folks. That's what that is. Yes. Oh, my God, man. This Mac, I... Oh, Jesus, it's it's killing my butt. I gotta okay. tell you, uh, I am so overthrown by OSX. It's just it's a nightmare. Oh, yep. Geez. Yep. It is a clown show of an operating system. Mac OS is kicking me in the. Um, I'm on high here right now, man. And it's it's a buggy piece of crap. I gotta tell you, I don't know what the heck. Apple is throwing down my throat, but I am just about ready to. (laughs) Where did they? Like, dude, where did they come up with this commodity of of an OS? I got to tell you, I just I want to break free of this hellhole and and go to Linux on it. But I tell you, this this 2013 brick has high DPI graphics. And it's got dual graphics on top of it, so it's, you the Wi-Fi is not an issue because I can plug in a USB dongle and then get the Broadcom thing working. That's not the problem. But the problem is this Intel and NVIDIA corporate nightmare Yeah, that, you know, unless I get both cards working, the power management, my games, everything, it's just not going to work properly. Yeah. And on top of that... You- when, and every distro I've tried, whether it's Arch, Gintu, Ubuntu, whatever, every time I activate those stupid NVIDIA graphics, uh, the OS tends to crash and burn, and I have to start all the hell over again. You have to understand. You have to understand something about how Apple operates. So, Apple does not sell. A lot of people think Apple's in the computer business. They're not. They're not really. They are in the. Exper- they're in the phone business. Well, they're in the experience business. When you, they're not even. You know, the, yeah. the the thing about saying that Apple is in the phone business. If Apple was in the phone business, then they would just be making the best phone they could make, and they wouldn't care if you ran iOS on it or if you ran Android on it. You know, they're in the experience business. So what they do is they are trying to sell you an experience, and so for a certain kind of user. Uh, Apple products work very well. So if you are a basic user that has very basic needs and you don't mind being, you know, working with one hand tied behind your back, Apple is not necessarily a bad way to go. The problem is what you quickly find out is all of the things. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to play with it or you want to dig into it, 
it's it's often tied. It is. It is literally working with one hand t- tied behind your back. And 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 there and so unless you have, there's like two or three pieces of software that are only run on the Apple ecosystem, and basically everything else runs on Windows or Linux. And so the amount of people that are that are married to the uh, the the macOS platform are slim. And and I would go, I would go one step further, Ben, and I would tell you that I personally think that Apple's heart is not in the game of desktop laptop computers anymore. I would argue if you look at where they're spending their money, yeah, and I can agree with you there. Now. If you look at where they're spending their money, if, watch their keynotes. Good. Yeah, go ahead. I've seen some of their keynotes lately, dude, and they are sucking. <laughs> I hate to tell you, their OSs and their hardware are just getting more and more crap. <laughs> yeah, well, no offense, they well, are just getting they're getting worse. Look at look at the look at the, look at the way that Apple is set up from a company standpoint. Okay, look at who is who is in charge of Apple. Look at why he's there. Look at what he came to Apple to do. Apple believes that the future of the computing world is tablets. I don't know. Have you seen this latest commercial that, that Apple is running? They, they, Ben, they have this commercial and it's these, and it's these kids and they're sitting there and they're on their iPads and they're playing with their iPads. And, uh, the, uh, you know, the mom or the grandpa, the old fuddy duddy comes out and says, Hey kids, stop playing on your computers and come in. And, you know, and the kid, you know, he looks up and he cutely says, what's a computer, right? Like it is, painfully obvious to anyone that works in this really? well yeah i mean what it is ben is that their heart is not in the computer game their 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 heart is not in the desktop game and it's not in the laptop game it is in the experience game and that experience where they make their money where they can sell a good experience is on not on the laptop and it's not on the desktop it's on the phone and it's on the tablet and i would argue the experience is not that great on an ios device i used it for a little bit it's definitely not for right. me but you know that's my opinion so you can understand why so you can understand why I want to put Linux on my laptop. Oh, absolutely. I put Linux on every device I've ever touched. I put Linux on things you're not supposed to put Linux on. So so let's break this problem down a little bit, Ben. So you so so you have a what what so let's start with this. So for all of you that are using um, MacBook, there, there are two ways to identify your MacBook. The first way, the easiest way, is the year in which you purchased it. And they separate that from the beginning and the well, end of and, and the end of the year. So, uh, let so me answer that question for you. It's a it's a Pro 15-inch late 2013. Now, I bought this used off eBay. Okay, that's my favorite way to acquire computers. So, Yeah, and it's, like I said, it's got an NVIDIA 750M and the, and the Intel integrated graphics, which is a 5500, I think. Okay. So, I know that, and I've gone on Google, looked up, you know... Because I know there's a specific MacBook page for Arch and for Ubuntu, but mm-hmm. with Gen 2, which I don't want to put on there because Gen 2 takes nine years to install, right. as you know. So I'm planning to put something a little bit more sane on there, like maybe Arch or Ubuntu, right. whatever. So let me let me just let me let me lay this out for everyone just real quickly. Let me let me just lay this out real quickly. So there there are two ways to identify the the identify which MacBook you have. As Ben said, he you know he's identifying it by the year. Now, now Apple actually separates that out. So if you have, you say 2013, there is a early thir- 2013 and there is a late 2013 usually. Uh, they divide that into two parts. Now, the other way and the way that I prefer to do it is there is a command you can run. And the command 
is called DMI Decode. And what DMI Decode does is it produces the system product name. And to me, that is a because the, the, the problem with um, identifying it by the year is it's it's often simple for for people to to work. And I think that's why it kind of fits in with the typical Apple user, because it's very simple, very basic, very direct. Um, but, you know, is if I buy it in March, was it late 2013 or was it early? 20? I mean, it's just it's kind of a, it's just a weird thing for me. And so using the command DMI decode and then uh, I believe it's tech S and I'll have this command in the show notes, but it's pseudo DM pseudo space DMI decode all one word all run together space uh, dash S space system dash product dash name and that will spit out an actual product name now. On like a Dell product, it'll say like XPS 13 or whatever. On the Max, it will give you a number. So it'll say like 5 comma 1 or 6 comma 1 or 7 comma 1. Now you can use that system product name to get specific information about how to fix problems on your particular model. So we're working with the 2013 and you said the, yeah, big, and you said the biggest uh, problem that you're having right now is with the display, right? Yes, the Heidi Pi and the dual graphics. Now this is an 11 comma 3. I just went into about okay. this Mac. Yeah. It okay. It's an eleven. Okay. So let's so let's work through this, Ben. So with with so let's start with the screen. So this will not work if you're going to use the NVIDIA proprietary graphics. So let's, but just for just to, let, to get a starting working ground, let's just go ahead and, and say we're using uh the, we're going to use the integrated part graphics part. Now, as far as the power management, I don't think you're going to get that to work. To be honest with you, I have known a lot of people that have had MacBooks and they've not really had any success in getting that power system to work with Apple. And the reason is because that firmware that Apple uses to control that power management controller is specific to Apple. So you can't really emulate that on Linux. And I don't think you're going to have a really easy time getting that to work. But as far as the as far as getting the screen to work, that you can do. Now, there the, the easiest way to do that is with is editing a file that's in your home directory called XBind Key uh, SRC. And what you can do is you can map. XNRC, yeah, I I know that file very well. Yeah. Okay, so what you can do is you can map those brightness keys to actually send a a specific a level of the fluorescent bulb or LED bulb, whatever it is, in the backlight to turn it on, and control it that way. And I'm gonna have and I'm gonna have a link for you in the show well, notes. it's not the. Not the yeah, you can do that, but I'm not talking about the brightness keys. I'm talking about the actual display size, like the DPI or something. Oh, okay. So the way that you fix that, Ben, is yeah. it, what distro are you using? Um, I was planning on putting Antergos on it, which okay. is which desktop which desktop control. environment? You know, which, which desktop environment are you going to use know. on Antergos? Well, I know that XFC has gone awful high DPI support. Okay. It's just not there and I know they're not planning to bring yeah, it out. Yeah, I, I would agree. I wouldn't use I wouldn't use XFC. I wouldn't use XFC. So uh, my suggestions would be uh my suggestions would be either GNOME or KDE. I much prefer KDE. Okay. Except for the fact customizing it is a yeah, it, it yeah it is. It's it's a it's a little bit frustrating. But here's here's what you would do. Inside of KDE, you can actually there is actually a setting for what they call scaling your display. And so what that does is it effectively doubles the pixels together. And there is a magic uh, uh, place to 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 get for high DPI. And I I am actually the the person to ask about that is actually Chris. And so I will get that exact setting for you. I'll have that in the show notes. There's two things you have to change in KDE. One is that scaling factor. The second 
second thing you want to change, Ben, is the fonts. And if you change those two things, that MacBook is going to look absolutely stellar. Yes, and I actually have a local Linux users group that oh, has good. Um, a week monthly meetup, and I'm actually thinking of taking this MacBook and wiping OS X off the thing. Yeah. And putting just uh, Antergos on it, and they were probably going to be like, holy shit. Yeah, no, that would be absolutely fantastic. So well, either way, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll watch this back later, and I'll look at the... Uh, at the show notes, and I'll be sure to apply those things that you're talking about for the brightness and the and the screen. Yep, yeah. Take a look at that. Tell me what you think, and then do give me a call back and let me know how that works, Ben. Because I I get a lot of people that that. Uh, you're not the only one that's using a MacBook, and and uh, and and certainly there are a couple different. Uh, different things that you have to tweak. Like you said, the Broadcom thing sounds like you have your hands on that. If anyone isn't familiar with that, simply plugging in a wired Ethernet connection or using a uh, USB dongle, Wi-Fi dongle, will let you get onto the Internet, and then that way you can actually uh, update and install the Broadcom drivers, which is actually a, a pretty straightforward thing to do, and I'll have a link for that as well in the show notes. Chaz is calling from New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, how's it going? Excellent. How are you? Pretty good. I would be very interested to hear your conspiracy theories about why Signal and Telegram went down earlier this week. Oh, the government, uh, the U.S. government was shutting it down because of terrorism. I'm, I'm, oh, ki- I'm, I'm, right. I'm kidding. On I'm a more totally, serious I'm, note, I'm, though. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, the, so for those of you that don't know what he's talking about, both Telegram and Signal uh, had it had an outage this week. I actually didn't uh, notice this. Um, Telegram was, I think, and I, I think for Telegram, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Europe and the Middle East, right? Oh, I just, like I, just well, I, I just, I just, yeah, I, it on tech tips today. yeah, I just, I just uh, googled it. Telegram was inaccessible in Europe, Middle East, and North Africa, while Signal was down for hours in Europe, U.S., Asia, and Australia. Some, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that would be why I didn't experience the the Telegram outage. But <clears throat> you know, when you have a messaging service that spans the entire world, you got people all over the place. I mean, I suppose you are going to have a couple outages, right? Yeah. Um. Uh... I suppose it was inevitable. Uh, my question on that note is, though, you know, we live in a world where, you know, people don't want to be responsible for their own security, their own safety, their own privacy, and they look at you like you're crazy when you tell them, well, you should be using an, an encrypted messaging application. Yeah. So my question is, how do you convince people that, you know, they should want to be proactive about this stuff and not entrust, you know, put all their trust in some separate entity that may or may not have their best interest at heart, whether it be government or corporation or what have you. Yeah. So uh, honestly, I have not had a lot of, uh, I have not had a lot of luck in convincing people on a philosophical level, people like you, people who care, uh, listeners of the show, obviously very much. So, I mean, they care, they want to hear, and they, they, they base their decision off of, you know, rational, uh, rational logic. And I can talk somebody's like that. I can talk that person's ear off. I don't have a lot of luck talking to the average Joe about caring about security, caring about, you know, this. And so what I have done and actually Chris, I've talked to Chris about this and he says that he's had a lot of luck doing the same thing. You sell it on the convenience point. Right. So for I'll give you an example. My cousin was here in town. He's visiting from Seattle and we were going out for lunch and I just told him, I said, hey, Mike, uh, you know, he was texting me and we had this group text thing going on. I'm like, listen, dude, uh, we can keep doing this if you want. That's cool. But I would recommend, you know, we. 
our family is using this particular app and you just download this app and it's kind of like our family app and that's kind of how we all communicate. Now, my mother's on it, my sister's on it, obviously my wife's on it, my kids are even on it. And so I said, you know, you just download this app and then we can communicate that way. And um, and he did. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll give that a shot. And then, of course, it morphed out. Then his kids became interested in they wanted to be included in the group and so and so it has what what Chris would call the network effect and you start bringing people in and it's gotten it's very much gotten to the point now where I have plenty of friends that are like basically anyone I talk to on a, on a even semi-regular basis is on Telegram. In fact, just the other day, I was having a discussion with another podcaster and he reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, I am trying to get a hold of this guy. And uh, I've tried emailing him and I have tried calling him and I've tried, uh, you know, on his website. I can't seem to get a hold of this guy. Uh, do you know him? Could you put us in touch? Because I really want to I want to interview him for my show. And it just so happens that the guy he was looking for uh, is on Telegram and he was asking me this on Telegram. And so I just reached out to the guy that he and the, the guy that he was talking about. We talk all the time. And so I, I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, there's this other podcaster. He wants to interview you. Would you be willing to, to go on a show? Uh, and while you're at it, could you come on the Ask Noah show? <laughs> And he said, yeah, I'd love to do both. And so in about five minutes, I was like, well, here's this guy's username. Just go ahead and ping him and and you guys, you know, work it out and set it up. And he sent me a message today and he's like, yeah, thanks. We got it all set up and everything's great. That kind of network power of just everyone being on that ecosystem is huge. And you can use that to show other people things. So you find the person you want to get on. You find maybe yourself and somebody else that they might be interested in talking about. And every time you do that, it gets easier and easier because there now there's more people that the next person might want to connect with, right? That's what I found to be the most effective. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I've done that to an extent as well. I just seem to have uh, more luck with that with, uh, WhatsApp, because it seems like WhatsApp is more accepted, whereas when I bring up Signal, they kind of look at me funny, but the joke's on them, because WhatsApp uses the same encryption as Signal, so... Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I, the reason... I don't know, I guess the reason... I mean, honestly, the truth is... Uh, I, I mean, if I'm being completely honest with you, Chaz, the truth is that the reason I got onto Telegram was because Jupiter Broadcasting got on Telegram. The reason that I left... Um, uh, Viber was because Jupiter Broadcasting left, Vib- left Viber. The thing I used before Viber was um, what did we use before? I think just IRC. I think it was just we had a, 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 a special chat in IRC. And the <clears throat> so I guess what I'm saying is that the I, I, I followed the network effect to a certain degree. I just kind of went where other people went. Now, to be fair, I've gotten to a point where so many people, so many of my friends, so many people in the Linux world, so so many communities exist on Telegram that I am not going away from it anytime soon. And so as some of these new technologies come out, like Discord and, and so on and so forth, I haven't exactly follow. I haven't continued to follow on because I just kind of, I kind of, you know, Telegram just works and it's so prolific and it's available on Windows. It's available on Mac. It's available on Linux. It's available on a web browser. It's available on Android, iOS. I mean, you name it, there's a Telegram app. Uh, the Ubuntu phone. I remember that we were, I was at a conference and the guy was telling me, yeah, we don't really have navigation worked out, but we have a Telegram app. Like, I mean, it's just everywhere. And so that kind of uh, ubiquitous communication is a huge selling point. And I think WhatsApp has most of those. Do they have a Linux client though? Um, They have a desktop, you know, scan this QR code and you can put the WhatsApp interface onto Chrome type Mm. deal. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a more traditional desktop app in the works. Um, but whether or not it comes to Linux is, uh, 
So I'm not sure. Hang on, I'll duck, duck, go it. Uh, one of the things I do on pretty much a daily basis is I will take. I'm I'm, lo- I'm working on a screen, and I will. And this is like really slick. If you're not if you're not familiar with this on Plasma, this is really fantastic. So the screen capture utility on Plasma remembers whatever the last mode you used was. So for example, capture the full screen, all monitors capture just the current screen, the active window the window that my cursor is over, or a rectangular region. There, are, I have so many things up on my screen, there's never, I won't say never, there's almost never a time I'd want to send somebody my entire desktop, but there are multiple times I want to show them a part of my desktop. And so the 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 thing that I almost always use is the rectangular region. Well, KDE remembers that last thing that I did was the rectangular region. So when I hit the print screen button, instead of just taking a picture of the entire desktop, it pops up a dialogue automatically chooses the last thing I chose, which is rectangular region. Then I can click on the take new screenshot. I can drag my cursor and select the area I want to, I want to pick, press enter. And now that, uh, now that screen shot is captured to my clipboard and I can just open well, actually I take that back. I think you have to click the button, copy to clipboard. And then it's in my clipboard. I can open up telegram and just control V and paste that in there. Now, why am I, why am I outlining that entire procedure? Because I do that 15 times a day. And the advantage of having a native desktop app is that that kind of integration with the clipboard and stuff works. And I question if it's just a Chrome add on, if, if it's going to have that same level of integration, or if I drag like a video file into the telegram app just this morning, I drew, I drew, I drew a, a video in and it asked me, do you want to send this as a file, full raw thing, or do you want me to re-encode it into like a Telegram video and so the user can just click play and it plays right inside of the app? That's the kind of integration you get when you're using an actual native app and you don't get that on like a, a, a you know, uh, if it's just a, you know, a Chrome add-on kind of a thing. So, hey, Chaz, I was going to ask you. Yeah, it's definitely I was going to ask you if I could ask for a small favor, and I'm going to talk about this more at the end of the show. Would you? You are one of the callers that you were one of the first callers that ever called this show, and you've been you've always asked really interesting and intriguing questions, things that I think apply to a large range of the audience, and we're like extremely grateful to have you as a listener. I, I was wondering, would you be willing to? Uh, we are putting together a montage uh, for a celebration of our one year on air, which is coming up on April 3rd. Would you be willing to record uh, some sort of thing that says, you know, like, hey, congratulations on one year. I- I'm Chaz from New York and, and thank you know, something like that and send that into us or, or just even even call when we're not on the air and just leave it on a voicemail. Yeah, absolutely. I would really appreciate that. So I'll I'll go ahead and put you. Uh, well, I, I guess I guess there's really nothing we need to grab from you. But yeah, if you could do that, I would appreciate that. And I, I guess I was going to talk about this at the end of the episode, but I guess we'll just talk about it now. Our one year anniversary is coming up now. Interestingly enough, the way that the calendar system works, we went on the air April third of 2016, and or I'm sorry, 2016. We went on the air April third of 2017, and I was so excited, and we had worked. I had taken weeks off of work up to that time uh, to actually launch the show. And so the first night that we turned on the microphone and went on the air, it was a really exhilarating experience. And those of you that have listened to this show and stuck with us for the year, I really appreciate you. And I, you ask if you ask anyone that's around me that, that talks to me on a daily basis, they will tell you that lately I have been putting everything I can into researching how to make the show better. What is it that people don't like about the show? What do we need to change? Now, there are some things from just a production standpoint, um, the way that the the show is produced that we have to change, music assets, so on and so forth. 
and we have worked with industry experts to handcraft solutions that are custom made specifically for this show to make it sound better than ever. And uh, we put a lot of money into a studio environment that because we plan to be on the air and plan to be a resource forever. And one of the most valuable things that you have done as a listener is you have gone to asknoashow.com slash better and you've told me, I hate this, I like this. And both of those things are equally valuable and it has been so helpful to be able to sit down and go through and say, these are what the viewers like and these are what the viewers don't like. And we are constantly making improvements and we are going to roll a bunch of those out on April 3rd. Because like as I was saying before I interrupted and derailed my own thought train, because we shifted days, we started on Mondays at 6 p.m. Central. Now the show airs live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Central. Because we changed, the anniversary of our episode is actually going to fall on the exact same day that we first went on online. So first episode of Ask Noah Show aired April 3rd of 2017. The one year anniversary episode is going to air on April 3rd of 2018. And so uh, tentatively, what we're planning on doing is there's a couple of people down in the Twin Cities area that have said, we would love to meet up with you and hang out. And so we are tentatively planning a small little meetup in uh, the Minneapolis area. And we're going to go down there and we're going to have a big celebration Um We'll provide dinner for people that come and we'll do the show live with other people uh, and anyone that attends is welcome to come on the air with me and and say hello or ask a question or whatever. And we'll just have a good time. And uh, we're collecting feedback up to that point and we're going to make a bunch of changes based on that feedback. And one of the things that we thought would be cool is we're going to take a montage and um, as we make those changes and 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 put that put a, a collage or a montage of comments about the show. So if you have a comment about the show, the best thing you could do is record it in Flack and send it to us. But if you don't have if you don't have the capability or or time to do that, just call the uh, on air line one eight five five four five zero six six two four sometime when we're not on the air. And uh, there's a little message at place that says like press one to leave a message or something like that. Just leave us a voicemail uh, with whatever your contribution or whatever it is you'd like to say, and we'll include that in our one year anniversary episode. Again, open phones this hour, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. So last week, I uh, I had a question. And the question was, what laptop can I buy that doesn't have an integrated graphics card um, but has more than 32 or has more than 16 gigs of memory? Now, I have to be honest. I am not a perfect uh, talk shows. In fact, I said day one, I'm like, this is not my profession. I don't do this professionally. Uh, I'm just here to help people and answer people's Linux questions. And if it happens to be a good show, it happens to be a good show. Well, last week I was so excited about my friend and boss who is launching his new show, Tech Talk Today, which you can listen to at techtalk.today, um, which would be a really fantastic place if you wanted to learn more about the Telegram outage. I think he talked about that this week. So check that out, Tech Talk Talk Today. But I was so excited to get him on the air, and I knew he was standing by that I rushed the phone calls. And that was a huge mistake on my part and a huge apology to those of you who called in right at the front of the hour. I'm so sorry I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't give enough attention to your questions. And um, as I rightly deserved, a lot of people, once I got off air, uh, let me know, hey, you really screwed up that first segment. And I'm not too good to come here and admit I screwed up. I made a mistake and um, I'm sorry. And I want to do a make good. So uh, there are two laptops that are glaringly obvious choices that I should have known right off the top of the bat uh, as a self-proclaimed Linux expert. And I didn't, but I have them here now. The first, obviously, is the System76 Galigo. 
It is an ultra portable 13 inch computer. It has up to 32 gigabytes of memory and does not have dedicated graphics. This also happens to be backed by a company who has a passion for Linux. Now, I have been to this company. I have seen what they do. I have worked right alongside them as they're, they're doing these work. These, these are people, they're not in business to sell computers. They're in business to empower Linux users. And the way they fund that endeavor is by making computers that run Linux. So if you want a company that is dedicated to Linux, makes a really awesome product that runs Linux, then System76 and the Galago will meet all of the all of the specifications that user was asking for. And I happen to know, having spoken to people at System76, they custom make a lot of these computers specifically with the developer uh, you know, market in mind. The second computer that would fit your needs, and I think I did touch on this, but it wasn't listed on Lenovo's site, so I kind of wrote myself off and kind of second-guessed myself, is the ThinkPad T580, also available with also available with 32 gigs of RAM. Now, where the ThinkPad falls down is compared to the System76. The ThinkPad is not a Linux-made machine. It just so happens that Red Hat, the largest, uh, the largest company in the United States, the largest provider of Linux in the United States, happens to run all ThinkPads, and they have never had a problem that I know of. I have, am sitting right in front of my X2, what is this, X270, and I absolutely love it, and I'm looking at upgrading to another ThinkPad. So it's a great computer, and if you install Linux, I have zero doubts that it will work right out of the box for you. However, understand that Lenovo themselves does not care about Linux and has no commitment to Linux. If it happens to work, it works, and if it doesn't work, they're going to tell you you should be running Windows. So there's that. But if you need a computer that has a traditional docking station, if you need a computer that has a, uh, you know, if you need one that, um, so for example, you can have uh, at an outlet store or something like that, and you want to go see it and play with it, uh, ThinkPad offers those things. System76 does not. You can only order a System76 computer online. There are no System76 stores. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, there are. there's a partnership program, but there are no uh, resellers that like stock System76 products. So if you want to put your hands on something, and that's an important thing to do, you know, with a purchase that big and uh, with as picky as some people are about their computers, that's something to consider. But both of those options, the ThinkPad T580 or the System76 Galago, both would be fantastic uh, computers for what uh, what what you're looking to do. Run some VMs, run some uh, a bunch of different development things uh, in a, in an environment where you need to uh, have a lot of have a lot of uh, I guess RAM is really what he was concerned about. Uh, chat room JJ four eight eight four is asking, do they still allow regular Ubuntu? At the moment, I believe they do. I think going forward, they are only going to run pop OS. Although I will tell you now I have a great relationship with system of 76. I have a lot of friends there. And so up until now, everything I said, they would, they would nod their head and go, yep, everything you just said is correct. Except, but at this point I'm going on, my own opinion is I don't think that is a sustainable thing to just do pop OS. I think they're going to have to continue to maintain Ubuntu proper because I think that there is going to be a market for it. And knowing system 76, they will do what they have to do to meet the need, the needs of those Linux users. So that's conjecture on my part. I have nothing to back that up. I've not heard that from System76. I do not think that's their official stance. That's just what Noah thinks. So take it for what it's worth. The advice is worth what you pay for on this program. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. I, I do see somebody sitting in the uh, caller queue, but I don't have any information on them. I'm not sure if... Uh, 
they're just chatting down there or if uh, that guy's coming up. But I will uh, I'll come back to you in a couple seconds here. 2018 has been an interesting year so far. I was uh, at my office and I was having meetings last week about um, where we're going as a company, what we're doing as a company, uh, where the market forces are and what we need to be doing to addressing those forces. And what we what I found was we have set up more instances of own cloud, C file, free PBX. And if I was to take all of the categories out of what we do, you know, hardware installation, hardware maintenance, this, that, and the other, the number one thing we have made money on in 2018 is installation support and upgrade and um, servicing of self-hosted services. In fact, we've done so much work on OwnCloud and NextCloud specifically that we now have a dedicated guy at AltaSpeed that his only function in life is to sit and upgrade and migrate NextCloud instances all day. And we've actually come up with this like elaborate system where you as a user come to us and you say, I have a OwnCloud or NextCloud instance and I want it upgraded. And uh, he will go ahead and send you instructions. And as long as it's hosted on DigitalOcean, this works anyway, he can make a little emailable link and you can email us the link. We can take your droplet, upgrade it, and then send it back to you. And then you can decide when you want to put it into production. Like we have this stuff down to a fine science. And I don't think that I, as long as I don't use his name, I don't think he'll mind me sharing this story uh, on, on the air. Um, but we were contacted by a gentleman and he said, I want you to upgrade our next cloud instance. Okay, no problem. We do it all the time. Here's what it costs. And he looks at it. He's like, holy cow, that's expensive. That's kind of pricey, isn't it? And I'm like, eh, eh that's, I mean, you get what you pay for. But he goes, well, couldn't I get it done cheaper? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. Not here, though. He's like, all right, well, all right. So he, he goes. He decides not to use this. A couple days later, he emails me back. And he's like, yeah, I sat down to, to do this upgrade or to do this migration. I don't remember exactly what it was. Ah. Uh, now I understand why it is you charge what you charge. I'll go ahead and pay it. So and and then and then it all worked out. So it 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 it's not it's not free, but I think we do a good job. So if that's something that's interesting, you can reach out to customer care 18662801433 or email support at ultaspeed.com. Now, I've watched enough invoices go out the door that I know that this is a hot button issue and one that the Ask Noah show needs to be in front of because if you're listening to this show, then you are part of the group who wants to own their technology. You don't just want a rent-a-computer for your data services. And I wouldn't go so far as to say that the world is shifting away from cloud computing, but there's unquestionably a market of business owners who are getting nervous at storing their data on the cloud. And it has become clear to me that it makes for good show content, right? Because the world is quickly dividing into two camps, those who want a computer subscription service and those who want to own their own technology. Now, I'm not whining about it either way, like, you know, because here's the thing. I am happy. I am thankful that there are people in the world that want companies like AltaSpeed to set up the whole kit and caboodle. Our hosted C file subscriptions are going boom, boom, like the numbers are nuts. And that's why I say there are definitely two camps because, you know, we dress it up. We brand it. We there's a bunch of marketing babble in there because, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're cheaper than Dropbox. We have. You have the private keys to your to your data, not us, unlike Dropbox. And frankly, it's just more robust infrastructure and software than Dropbox. And so with the ability to talk to other local servers, with the, the ability to sync up to a cloud server, to subscribe to libraries and not others, et cetera, et cetera, all of that stuff, it's all great. Under the hood, it's all just C file, though. 
And as I sat back last week going over numbers and going over closed tickets, I started to see that there are projects that our customers find very valuable. And if I can make a healthy living off of selling installation support and maintenance and giving all of then giving all of that away for free on the Ask Noah show is probably, uh, 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 you know, makes for a really good show and something you guys would be interested in. But before I go on, I want to hear from you guys. What self-hosted services do you use most often? What do you guys think is most helpful? What would you want to see running on your home or what do you run on your home server? Let me know. one 855 no That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. I want to go to our mumble room. Mr. JJ, hey, are you with us? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I can. How's it going, sir? Pretty good. Yourself? I'm doing all right. So um, I sort of have a quick question for you uh, with regards to uh, the Windows subsystem for Linux. And now that they announced that Kali Linux and Debian are available from the Windows Store to be used on the Windows subsystem for Linux. So what would you say this sort of uh, workaround to implement Linux on Windows, how do you think this will impact uh, Linux in installs? I know we talked about it a bit on Linux Unplugged today, but I wanted to get your opinion as the diehard Linux uh, person that you are. My take on it is that the Microsoft we fight today is very different from the Microsoft we fought yesterday. And that should concern a lot of Linux uh, users because Microsoft is making very, very smart decisions about trying to integrate Linux into into Windows. They're taking the best parts of Linux and making them available on Windows. Now, there is one big card that Microsoft never shows you because if you look at a playing card from the front, it looks like a it, you know it looks great, and from the back, it looks great. It's only when you turn the card on its side that you see that the card is rail thin, and that's what Microsoft doesn't tell you. And what that is that the the missing piece here is the Windows brand sucks, and the Windows uh, the, the Windows brand is tainted and they are not uh, until they fix that problem. They, I don't think they are going to be able to turn the ship around. I don't, I don't meet people other than a handful of people. I don't meet people that are super excited about the next release of windows. I don't, I don't meet people at conferences that say even the, even the norm, even not Linux conferences, even regular, you know, just industry conferences. I don't meet people that are like, yeah, I'm on the next 16, whatever of the release of windows 10. In fact, I've been spending a lot of time at radio stations as I go around traveling to, to, you know, and I stop in at a radio station, whatever city I'm in to do my show. And, uh, I see a lot of Linux, like, the radio industry might be one of the most heavily Linux dominated industry on the desktop that I haven't personally been a part of to change, you know, like they just, they naturally do it. And when I talk to these broadcast engineers about, man, I see you running Linux there. That's kind of interesting. They tell me the same thing all the time. Yeah, well, we tried it on Windows 10, but it, you know, it did a reboot or it played some pop-up noise while we were on air. We can't have that. And, uh, you know, we bought this Linux system and, uh, it, it, it runs great. It's been running for years and it's had no problems. And, Linux has done some things in the underpinning to allow the audio drivers to talk over the network. And so they you know, we broadcast engineers love that because it keeps audio very, very clean. And so once you learn how to set that up, it's, it's like a total game changer. Then it's very, and, it's, very it, and on a similar note, Chrome, there's been announcements that Chrome might be able to run uh, Linux apps on, uh, with the, this thing called Crostini. If yep. you've heard about that yep. story. Yep. Yep. The, 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 the reason I haven't, been over the top on that is because the, the 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 if you think about the kind of person that buys a Chromebook, they're not looking to push that thing to the limits. And if they did, they'd be sorely disappointed. That's the person that wants to check their email, browse the internet, write a couple letters, that kind of thing, right? And to be fair, that's that was a Mac market for a long, long time. And so Chromebooks kind of fit 
fit that edge. So if you had something that really needed macOS, now you're going to macOS. If you didn't, then you're sticking with uh, with the Chromebook. And I think that's a good thing for the industry. But, you know, we, and Chris and I were talking about this last week. And he said, we we're talking about the um, the fact that uh, Microsoft is 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 restructuring Hyper-V and the Hyper-V market so that you can just download an Ubuntu installation. I, you know, I got to tell you, it, unless you've used Hyper-V uh, on a daily basis for production work, you don't understand uh, how bad it is. And it's not until you use Hyper-V in a production environment and then use something like VMware or Libvirt-D or Overt right next to it. And then you really understand how terrible it is and how many better options there are. And so I think that there are a number of threats to Linux. That isn't one of them. I think there. I think that the fact that they are they are quickly becoming hip to the idea that penetration testers, security experts, they want Kali Linux. And for a day-to-day office environment, they are willing to run Windows, but then they are booting into a you know specific distro to do penetration testing. I think that is absolutely indicative of a threat to Linux. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Now, if there was one tool that I couldn't live without at this point, it would undoubtedly be C file. If you're not familiar with C file, it is a file synchronization tool, not unlike Nextcloud or own cloud, but C file, much like Dropbox is specifically designed from the ground up to be a world-class file synchronization tool. Now, unlike Dropbox, which syncs your entire drive or allows you to deselect specific files you don't want to sync, C-File uses something called libraries. Now, a library is nothing more than a collection of files or folders. And you can tell C-File, when I share this library, these are the files and folders I want you to share. Now, that's particularly advantageous to users like me who wear a multitude of hats because I live in a multitude of different worlds throughout the week. At home, I'm a father, I'm a husband. At work, I'm a business owner, I'm a business operator. I also work in the field from time to time. And on Tuesdays, I'm a talk radio host. So on the machine that sits here in the studio that I'm working on today, I need it to sync all of my show prep files. But I don't want any of the recordings that go out on the broadcast machine. On the broadcast machine, I want all of the recordings to sync, but I don't need any of the show preps, but I also need the broadcast assets. On my laptop, I want everything. I want my show prep. I want my broadcast assets. I want the recordings. I want everything and anything. So at a moment's notice, that's just available to me. I also have a machine that's in our rack that is tied to Dropbox so Rakai can get the files once the recording's finished. And so I need C file to sync all of the recordings with that box. And then I want them to put the recordings in the Dropbox folder so they go to him. And I want all the rest of the files, the show prep, the broadcast assets, the, the, all of that, the prep files, all of that, I want it to sync to a second folder. And there's, as far as I know, there's no way to get that kind of granular control in Dropbox. But they're very much, it's very easy to do inside of C file. And there's somebody out there right now that's going, no, I don't host the Ask Noah show, so I don't have any of those kinds of needs. But you have a personal life, right? And you have a work life, and you may not want your personal file showing up on your work machine. Vice versa, you may not want your work file showing up on your personal machine. Libraries are a great way to have a single username and password to get both the server, to get both one server and one software package You install it, you log in, and all of a sudden, you can have access to all of the files that you might need. 
And of course, at any time, you can drag and drop a folder into the cfile client. And cfile will automatically, without moving the files on your file system, which is not the case in Dropbox, which is not the case in Google Drive. But in cfile, I can drag any file anywhere on my system into the cfile client and it will generate a new library. And so there have been plenty of times I'm building out a project for a client and I get done and I just drag it into cfile. It spits out a share link. I email that link and I shut my laptop and I'm done because it's already synced up to the server. And so now they can pull that file down whenever they have time. System restoration, similarly, very easy on my systems. In KDE, it's all about configs. As a Neon user, I log into my cfile client. I sync my KDE library. My desktop is now my desktop. Absolutely fantastic zero compromise software. And I have pushed this to its limits. I have tried to get C file to screw up. I have synced up to, I think, 15 gigs of video files. I have it on, at this point, 15 machines, 16 machines of mine. I have machines that are getting reinstalled halfway through syncing. I have machines that I have accidentally moved folders and had to move them back. I mean, there isn't a problem I haven't tried to create for C file, and it handles it like a champ. And the worst you ever get is you'll get a thing that's called dot conflict. And it'll say, well, you had two files that were modified before they talked to the server. And so I just put them both in here and you decide which one you want. Ah, done. I mean, easy. And I'll tell you something else that I really respect about the C file developer. This guy, when I first started playing with C file and I had, I had a question or how something worked or where the log files were, I would ask a question and there's this one guy that keeps answering all the questions. I mean, like in every form across the internet, there's this one guy come to find out he's the lead developer. He's the one that designed C file and he's very open and straightforward about the encryption me mechanisms and how he's protecting your data and what you need to do to fully protect your data from the government and other people. I mean, it's just, I, I don't have enough good things to say about C file. It's that great. So it's that great of software. If there's one piece of software I had to have to, to live my life, undoubtedly C file. So check that out. We're going to go talk about more software that you can self-host, software that will change your life as this here show continues. Right now, we're headed to the phones at 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624 or email us live at asknoahshow.com. That's how you join the program. Make your voice heard. Timothy from Virginia. Hey, Timothy, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, I'm hoping you can help me do Google Fi My Music. I've been okay. using the Google Music Unlimited streaming stuff, but I've been buying my music again because I like the higher quality. And I'm trying to find a solution that lets me upload my library without relying on Google. Google lets me upload a thousand songs, but they compress it and make it sound crappy. What is a good method for me to have a nice web interface so I can access it at multiple computers <sighs> and self-host it myself so I can have my own music. And I have multiple files, have AUG, MP3, sadly, for some of the music, and FLAC. So I also needed to be able to support all those codecs. I don't suppose it's all the, all the computers you want to access happen to be on the same LAN, do they? <laughs> well, that's the thing, is I'm also on the go a lot, so I want to be able to stream it from my phone, too, if possible. <laughs> yeah. And my library is quite large. It won't fit on my phone. Man, um... Well, I have a creative, it's, I don't know if this is the best solution. It's a creative solution. It'll solve your problem. But you know what I would say, if you told me it was on the LAN, obviously we talked about Volumio, which is a fantastic project and would do all of that, except, you know, you'd have to have it on, on, on the LAN. Now, I suppose if you wanted to, I suppose if you wanted to get uh, uh, super involved, you could set up a VPN because even streaming a WAV file across the internet these days, as long as you have decent bandwidth is, is doable. 
we do it multiple times a, uh, multiple times a month for this show. But I, I would say for what you described, what I would probably do, Timothy, is I would set up Plex. Uh, now, Plex is typically designed for video, but... Uh, one of the things that I have done is I had a I had a show that I listened to one of my favorite shows to listen to. It's only available on Sirius XM, and I record it uh, using a special um, setup Linux box that I that I, I put together with a series of scripts that records and encodes the file for me. And, but to get that file down to my phone so I can play it anywhere, stream it anywhere, or make a copy of it anywhere, I am using Plex to do that, and it's not perfect. But it has the basic functionality. You can do, you know, shuffle and repeat and stuff like that. Is that an option for you, or is that is that you're like, eh, that just... Well, I tried that, and the problem I ran into is I, I like to listen to a lot of independent artists, so even when I was using these girls streaming, I had to always upload my own copies, because I've sure. got all this stuff on Bandcamp and whatnot. And it... <laughs> I even paid for the Plus subscription, and it started messing up all of the metadata. Oh, so no. Like, artists information was all messed up and it oh. was horrible yeah that's no good yeah you must have a large library because yeah i was just thinking about it Go the, the the free google thing is is huge have you don't have an amazon prime subscription do you yes i do doesn't amazon and i'm just going out on a limb here i don't know for sure but doesn't amazon prime allow you to i have tried what you're recommending i have tried it because and i paid for the whole year up front but the problem is the linux capability is horrible because it's in flash sure and they don't have a desktop client for linux man but it's great though but that's yeah, when it works dilemmas i hate flash <laughs> yeah i am i'm just i'm trying to think uh i was wondering if you knew anything about the method some of the open source ones i saw like the big one i saw was something called ampash or amcash and then something called sub sub something subsonic yeah, I don't know if you knew anything about those, because those seem to be more music-focused. Unfor unfortunately, I don't. Here's what I'm going to do. Let me do this. Let me jump into the Mumble Room. Hey, Mumble Room, I don't suppose any of you guys are aware of any software. I know, Eric, you play around in the audio world quite a bit. Have you, have you come across anything that might help Timothy out? So, uh, just repeat the question. What was that again? What kind of Is there any sort of free Libra software that you could use for music streaming your own library we talked about google play we talked about amazon neither one of those are, are really an option for a variety of reasons uh he's tried plex that's not really working for him do you have an idea of something he could use as a, as a free open source software to, to stream music um the only thing i can think of that just kind of came off the top of my head was free nas and that's okay. a BSD derivative. Yeah, and the, and you know, FreeNAS isn't really going to stream music. Uh, my call screener tells me that you had uh, you had not played with C file before, and so that's something you're looking at. I've used C file before, and it's great. It's just oh. I'm still stuck in a contract for a few more months, and oh, I have sure. an iPhone, and the C file client on iPhone sucks. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, I tell you what I can do, Timothy. I, I'm sorry I don't have a better answer for you off the top. I mean, what, what you you sound like you have tried everything I would have considered trying. So what I will do is uh, I'll keep it open. I'll, and you know, here's the thing. I got off the air last week, Timothy, and like a bunch of people were like, "Here's the answer. You couldn't answer. You're an idiot. This was the simple answer, and you, this is what you had to tell the guy." That might very well happen. There might somebody. There's probably some like perfect project for you, and I just. I just don't know what that is off the top of my head. So I, I keep an eye on the show notes. If somebody reaches out to me, I will put that information there. And I'll have it available to you. And I'm sorry we don't have a better answer for you right now. Um, 
Adam from Vancouver asks, didn't you uh, try that raspberry thing? The, the raspberry thing is called Volumio, and Volumio is great and would sol do everything he wants it to do, except it has to be on the LAN, so not quite perfect. Again, phones, one 450 noah That's one 450 The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Now, if I could have a second program that I couldn't live without, it would undoubtedly be a program called Simple Hope. Now, we've talked about Simple Hope on an episode of the, Ask, or, uh, the Linux Action Show, but I don't think we've covered it here on the Ask Noah Show. And that's because, well, I don't know why that is really. It really should have. But it is unquestionably the best remote desktop software out there. Now, if you just want to see your desktop, there are free versions of TeamViewer. There's XRDP, which is very common in the enterprise environment. In fact, I'd say it's the de facto standard for remote desktop on Linux in the enterprise environment. There's VNC, which is brain-dead simple to set up, but there aren't a lot of... It's not very performant, and there are some limitations. We'll get to that in a moment. And of course, there's X2Go, which is probably the best performing native remote desktop software you can get, but it also has some drawbacks. Now, the problems with every one of these solutions, like, other than Simple Help, is XRDP, first of all, is a chore to set up. And once you have it set up, it works great, but it's still there are desktop environments it doesn't work with. So, for example, Unity doesn't work. Um, if you have people that are remoting into a Linux box, though, from a Windows box particularly, it's a really great choice because they can use the built-in Windows RDP viewer. VNC is great, but again, performance is terrible. And it's fine if you're just remote troubleshooting something, but it's abysmal if you have to work on a machine for any prolonged period of time. Or if you have to deal with something that's time-sensitive like broadcast production. X2Go is a fantastic choice for performance, but again, it establishes its own new connection under a new user, so you can't remote into your own machine and work on what you were working on locally. The entire session has to be remote. So it's fantastic if you want to have a workstation in the cloud, so to speak. Not so great if you just want to log into your existing workstation and, and, and you know look at that file that you were typing or whatever. I've also had issues with GNOME as well as Unity, so personally, if I'm using X2Go, I'm using Mate. By the way, Timothy, uh, PTO in the chat room says Tanito. So we're going to look into that. And if it's if 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 I'll play with it uh, after I get off the air, and if it's a solution for you, I'll definitely uh, give you a further write-up. Now, TeamViewer is kind of a go-to for a lot of people. And honestly, the performance and flexibility is fantastic with TeamViewer. Now, there's just two minor problems with TeamViewer. First is the tremendous cost. It is expensive. And if you think you can get away with just the personal use forever, if you establish too many connections at this, within a 24-hour period to the same box, I can tell you from firsthand experience, even if it actually is a personal box, they will flag it as suspected commercial use and they'll shut your connections down. You won't be able to team viewer into your box. And the second thing is it's really only designed for remote access. It's not really designed for remote management. And that's fine if you're helping mom change your background. Not so great if you're trying to manage multiple businesses that are like seven or 800 miles away. Simple Help addresses all of those because it's literally a full management suite. All of their software works on Linux, Mac, and Windows, and has and so you have full access to every platform. It's self-hosted, so you don't have to worry about the service going down, and you can add multiple Simple Help servers for redundancy. So you can tell the clients, always associate to these two servers. If any one of them goes down, automatically switch over to the second one. The other thing it allows you to do is if... So uh, Chris DeLuca, uh, he owns CDC Computer Consulting, out in West Virginia, and I own AltaSpeed Technologies. Now, we have a couple of machines that I have added to his Simple Help server, like a couple of clients, and I've gone in there and just said, also register to this Simple Help server so that he can access those machines as well. So it's really great for interoperability. 
SimpleHelp will work its way around almost any firewall system that we have come across. And that's also true mostly at the time for TeamViewer, although I've had more luck with SimpleHelp than TeamViewer if it's really, really locked down. Simple help can be run one of two ways. The first way is the live support version, which you double click on, the user runs, and it gives you access to the machine and removes all traces except for that in that initial run file, which you can then delete after the session is over. The agent version or the unattended version is a installation. It installs something to the computer, but it allows for unattended access to the machine. Now, our lead-in on the JB side of this program is Linux Unplugged, and one of the discussions they were having was, uh, Chris was saying, man, I really wish I had TeamViewer access, but I don't want it to ask for a password because I didn't remember what that thing is or whatever. And the, the truth is, you can't actually do that on TeamViewer. You can't actually tell it that you don't want a password. You can specify a static password to use with that partner ID, but you can't actually tell it to not ask for a password. Nor would you want to because then anyone with the team, uh, the partner ID could access the machine. But what they were trying to do was just get access to the machine that they already own. And it's his machine. He paid for it. He built it. He installed the OS. And he just wants to get remote access to it. Well, in Simple Help, it's great because you log in to the technician console, which again, this is also of hosted. So we're not talking about some cloud service, but you log into the technician console. And because you're authenticated in there, any machine that you have access to, 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 you know, access, I guess, uh, will show up in your in your list. And so they could have literally just downloaded the live run agent and had access to the machine for a little bit, or they could have visited the enrollment URL and permanently enrolled that machine to be accessed at any, any time unattended. Now let's get into the features of simple help itself. The management uh, functionality is fantastic. From the dashboard, I can see every machine that is enrolled in our server. I can see disk usage. I can see Ram usage. I can see what OS is installed. I can see if the machine is online. I can see which user is logged in. I can see the last time it was on if the machine isn't currently on. I can see uh, running services, installed programs. Now, if the machine is off, I can remotely power it up. If the machine is frozen, I can even drop to a CLI uh, command and issue commands that the agent will run in the background. As long as the agent is running, even if the UI for Windows is locked up, even if the OS is locked up, as long as that agent hasn't locked up, which happens every once in a while, but not very often, I can still issue underlying commands to the underlying OS. So the amount of power and flexibility I have is absolutely insane. Now for the performance. The performance is so fantastic that we have a bench at Alta Speed that customers put their computers on. And if you can picture this, right above the bench, there is, uh, there is a monitor that's about four feet above the, the actual bench. So the com customer's computer sits there. Above that is the keyboard. Above that is the, ma is the uh, display. But that is not a very comfortable way to work. And so one of the things that we do is we actually, I'll just install the live agent, go to my office, sit down and work on it there. Manual controls let you, you can adjust the screen grab rate, you can adjust the color space, you can set those statically, you can record the session. So if we're subcontracting out, I can record everything they're doing for documentation purposes, as well as if we ever need to do it again. There's granular access control systems. So for example, Alan Jude has an account on our system, but he can only see machines that are tagged with the Jupyter Broadcasting tag. And it's not that I don't trust Alan. It's just nice when you have 500 machines enrolled to a system and he only needs to access one of those that he's not scrolling through all of those. 
So it's an absolutely fantastic system. I encourage you to check all of those out. Now, we had a lot of projects that we didn't get to, and maybe we'll save that for another episode. Next week, we're going to be live from scale. We'll have Chris Fisher, owner and operator of Jupiter Broadcasting, on the program. Make sure to check out the Distro Elimination Challenge. We had a problem with our website last week, but we got that fixed, so that'll be updated as soon as I get off the air. AskNoahShow.com slash elimination. Hey, guys, did you know this show is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To subscribe to the feed or download the show, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. While you're on the Ask Noah a dashboard help us improve the show by asno going to asknoahshow.better.com slash better huge thanks to simon quigley our call screener we're going to hand you off to harm reduction hour coming up next on keqq 88.3 fm grand forks <laughs>